I, I think personally, this is the most challenging parable in the Bible. I think it challenges me, perhaps, personally, more uh, than the others. Remember, we're looking at the final words of Jesus uh, in Matthew's Gospel. He's, he's ridden into Jerusalem in the last week of his life. Uh, Matthew records a large chunk of Jesus' teaching, and in particular, Jesus' teaching about what will happen in the last days, to the end of the age, and, and, and most uh, significantly today, uh, when he comes again when Jesus will, will come again in power. That's, that's what he's teaching about. And he does that by way of five parables. We've had the parable of the thief in the night. Actually, John Crosland had uh, three of these to do, I think. Um, the thief in the night. Uh, we've had the parable of the faithful and the unfaithful servant. And then the parable of the ten virgins, the ones that were ready with their lamps and the ones that weren't when he came. And then last week we were thinking about the parable of the talents, how one man uh, had, two, two of the people had used their talent and, and multiplied it and, and were blessed and, and one of them had not bothered and buried it in the ground. And then finally we come today to the, to the parable of the, the sheep and the goats. Now we're grateful to Matthew because Matthew is the only one of the gospel writers to include this parable. It's unique to, to Matthew's gospel. Um, and, and it's the parable uh, of the sheep and the goats. The themes are judgment and separation. So it's a quite a, a stark parable, isn't it? And, uh, you know, we're all sitting here just hoping we're going to be the ones on the right. Yeah? Because I wouldn't want to be the ones on the left. Uh, this, is the, this is the challenging uh, thing about this parable, uh, which we're going to have a look at fairly briefly just now. Uh, the subject uh, is very clear in this parable. The subject is Jesus. Uh, the other parables have been about a man or uh, a king, uh, but now it's, it's identified very clearly when the Son of Man comes. So this parable is clearly Jesus talking about himself, and it says when he sits on his throne. So he is referring to himself as a king. Um, so the Son of Man, of course, was the title that Jesus used most frequently when he was alive to refer to himself. Uh, he didn't often call himself the Son of God. Other people did. But he always referred to himself, usually, as the Son of Man. To identify himself with human, his humanity, uh, and it was a kind of sign of humility as well. He also, of course, identifies himself with the, the, the Son of Man in Ezekiel. and um, That was his preferred title. But he's also the king. But then, of course, in the parable, the theme of the parable, he is the shepherd. Uh, and the role here is the shepherd who is going to separate the sheep from the goats. Jesus is the shepherd. And then finally, of course, when he comes again, Jesus is the judge. And Jesus rolls all of those functions, the Son of Man, uh, the Son of God, the, the King on his throne, the shepherd and the judge all into one. And particularly when he comes again, uh, he is going to judge the earth, judge the nations. When he, when he, he was a, a walking around doing his normal life for three years, he, he, he basically said, I'm not coming to judge you, uh, but one day I will. And now when he comes again, he will sit on his judgment throne. 
Now, the previous parables have really been largely about the end times, that period of time from when Jesus uh, goes back to be with his father until the end of the age. And we've had some interesting discussions about quite when that was. Now, clearly, when when Jerusalem uh, is sacked, that was the end of of that age of history. Um, But, of course, uh, we're still going, and we don't quite know when Jesus is going to come back. So I think there's a kind of a multiple different ways you can look at this, uh, and we can certainly have some good discussions about that. But clearly, now he comes very specifically to when he comes again. This parable is about the second coming of Jesus. A real future event. You know, for 2,000 years, people have been expecting Jesus to return, and he, he hasn't returned in his glory yet, uh, but, it, but, he, but he will do. Uh, this is a, an event which is yet to happen, uh, to fulfill all that Jesus said about himself, much of which has already come true, and one day it will all be brought to fulfillment when he returns. When will that be? Not even Jesus himself knew. Um, only God the Father, as we, as we saw um, in our previous teaching. And this real and future event will be the final judgment. Notice that all of the nations are brought before the throne of the perfect judge. Um, do you long for that day? Do you know, I, one of the most frustrating things at the moment is this whole business of truth, is it not? You know, truth has been redefined. Oh, your truth. And we have, you know, we have very powerful people in our world. I'm not going to mention any of them, except to say that I did ask Steve to reword the last verse of that hymn. <laughs> You'll understand uh, to make it trumpet. Uh, anyway, um, there are people who are who are saying that uh, something is true, and then the next day they say something else is true. Uh, and, you know, there are people like that that we know, perhaps, and there are also people who are in very powerful positions in the world who, who seem to have different views on what is truth. Don't you just long when the one who is the way, the truth, and the life sits on that throne and all the nations see him and he speaks truth? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Yeah, it must be. The day of vindication of everything that Jesus stood for, everything that creation has been heading for, uh, when the truth is finally revealed, and the only one who can do that is Jesus. Now, of course, we know Jesus, and we can proclaim he is the way, the truth, and the life. I, I've just been making some new posters, and one of the ones that will go up on the, on the board outside is a signpost uh, on a footpath, and it also says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We know that. We believe that, but the world is still yet to be uh, convinced. But one day, the, true, the truth will be revealed. And those who, who um, uh, peddle in what has been known as alternative truth will be shown for what they are. And then there will be not only a judgment, but a separation. The ones on the right will be the blessed to eternal life. The ones on the left will be cursed to eternal punishment. That's harsh. It sounds harsh to us because I I hate making judgments about people. I I have met people uh, who make a judgment about people as soon as they meet them, um, you know, uh, in churches, and they say, oh, that person's saved, that person isn't. They seem to know 
they've got the knowledge, but I, I, you know, I kind of reserve judgment because I think only Jesus really sees the truth and the heart of people. But there will be a separation, and that's the point of this parable. Now, what are the criteria for that judgment? There's always got to be somewhere where you measure and you determine the truth. Well, um, a few weeks ago, uh, Mike uh, talked to us uh, and gave us a very clear uh, message all about, and you used the term, the believers and the builders. Uh, the builders were the Pharisees who were trying to build their own kind of empire, whereas the believers that were the ones that trusted Jesus. That is, he is the touchstone he, by which truth is measured the way, the truth, and the life. So, those who believe in Jesus will be blessed. Those who, are, who will not believe in him for any reason are cursed. And then, one of the other parables, those who are ready for him and those who are not ready. You might believe, but actually, are you living a life that is ready for him to return? If he came back tomorrow, or even now, uh, are we ready to receive him? And then the parable of the faithful and the unfaithful servant. If Christ came back today, would he find you faithful to your call? Or would he find you uh, doing something else? And then with the, uh, the, the ten virgins, uh, those who were prepared for him and had their lamps full uh, of oil and were ready for him to come. And those who, who were going to do it tomorrow and didn't get their lamps filled in time. Um, I, I, I confess to have been one of those a little while ago because it was my on my birthday it, we were going to have a family barbecue, and of course it was just on that day or just the day before that Karen pointed out that perhaps I ought to check the gas cylinder in the barbecue, and uh, I did check it and it was very low, and uh, so oh no we've got all the family coming for a barbecue I haven't got enough gas so we were going down to Seaton in Devon and and so. I stopped at every Cala service station on the way. Between there were about ten of them. Between here, you can find out on on your phone, and um, every single one of them would run out of gas because it was barbecue weather, isn't it? So everybody had bought the barbecue, you know, these little gas cylinders. I was too late, but fortunately, my gas lasted for that barbecue. In fact, the gas almost lasted enough to burn the house down, because um, <clears throat> my, uh, some of you may have seen some pictures of my barbecue that got a bit hot, shall we say. My daughter said I went viral on Facebook, and the risk assessment was rather foolish, having the barbecue next to the woodpile. But at any rate, you know, we're meant, to be, we're meant to be wise and not foolish. We're meant to be prepared, because there will come a time when it's too late to fill our lamps. We need to make sure they're filled now. And then last week we were thinking about the gifts, the talents. When God comes, or Jesus comes, will he find us, those who are using the gifts that he's given us for his kingdom purposes? I'm intrigued to find out what some of the children have done with their £10 notes. Um, we will find out in September um, what they've done. But then this parable challenges me deeply. The sheep and the goats are divided on whether they have shown care for the poor and the needy and love to their brothers and sisters. Or whether they've ignored them. Now who are these people? Who are, Jesus says, whatever you did uh, for, the, for these brothers and sisters, you did for me. Who are the brothers and sisters? Well, 
Some people might say, well, actually, it's everyone. You know, we're all part of the human race. And so, uh, you know, whatever I did for everyone in the world, which is a bit of a challenge when you've got um, 7 billion uh, people in the world, gosh, I'm going to be struggling to help all of those. Some people would say, actually, no, the brothers and sisters are actually the disciples because we are brothers and sisters with Jesus if we're part of his family. And so he is talking primarily about helping the, the family of God. And there are other scriptures that would, that would, that would back that up. Um, but of course, um, primarily, Jesus is saying, what you did for me. He said all of these examples about what people did for Jesus. He has this unique bond with his disciples, his brothers and sisters. So whatever you do for these, even the least of these, you do for me. Now that is a challenge, isn't it? If we're going to be separated into the sheep or the goats, according to what we've done or not done to help other people, whether in the family of God or, or beyond, it's hard. Jesus says, I was hungry uh, to the righteous, he says, to the sheep. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick and you visited, you, you comforted me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. That repetition is there for kind of effect, isn't it? It's a very powerful, powerful tool, a literary tool. The, the, the repetition of all these different needs of people that you might know. But to the righteous, he says, whenever I was hungry, you fed me. And Jesus said, actually, you were feeding me. But then to the, to the goats on his left, he says, when I was hungry, you didn't give me anything to eat. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. Uh, when I was a stranger, you didn't welcome me. When I was without clothes, you didn't provide me clothes. When I was sick, you didn't help me. And when I was in prison, you ignored me. You didn't come and visit me. So the basis of judgment on this parable is on meeting basic human needs. And, and that, is, that is a challenge to me in this parable, and I guess to, to many of us, because we're talking about salvation here, and judgment. Now, we, we, if we've read our Bibles and we, we are Christians, we will know, we will believe that salvation is by faith. Salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ and his complete finished work on the cross. Of course. But it looks like this parable is saying, actually, this judgment is being made on deeds, of works, what, they, what people have done or not done. That's, that's the kind of challenging bit here, isn't it? Um, and what is the answer to that? Well, of course, like many things in the Bible, there are, there are paradoxes. Well, that word it, it, it is two parts of two Greek words, paradoxa. Uh, para alongside each other, doxa, glory. So a paradox is two glories alongside each other. And of course, the first glory is, yes, we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. We, we don't earn our salvation. We can't do anything to be saved except believe in Christ and offer the gift that he gives us. Absolutely. That's a glory, a glorious thing. 
Um, and of course, Jesus is appearing in all his glory on this throne. But then uh, there's another glory that actually Jesus says uh, that we must uh, love our neighbours. We must help the poor. And so the, 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 the service that we're called to is a glorious service. I mean, take someone like, obviously the classic example, Mother Teresa spent pretty well all of her life simply helping the poor, doing things that we would find unmentionable or, you know, situations. Now, um, of course, when Paul wrote his letter to the Romans, he wrote it very strongly, particularly in, in verse chapter 3, talking about salvation is by faith in Christ alone. Uh, absolutely. And yet we can read the letter of James. Well, let me read a couple of bits of those, just to see what, uh, what two of our, our the apostles actually teach on that. Let's first of all, Romans chapter 3. This is what Paul says. He says uh, in verse 21, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through by Jesus Christ. So that's very, very clear, isn't it? We are saved uh, by faith in Jesus Christ and all that he's done. Let's now have a look at James chapter 2. James chapter 2 and verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by what I do. That's interesting. Now both those passages are from scripture. Both of them are glorious things. Two glories next to each other. One does not contradict the other. But you can see how they go together. Faith has to be accompanied by some kind of outworking of that faith. Uh, one thing is certainly true, uh, the people who, uh, who think that they can get to heaven by simply doing lots of good deeds have missed the point as well. Our salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. But if we have faith in Jesus Christ, then we must put it into practice in one way or the other. And this parable seems to be talking about that, that love for brothers and sisters shows love for Jesus. Doesn't John say, if anyone doesn't love his brother, how can he say that he loves God, who he hasn't seen? 
And that's why I showed the pictures earlier on about the, the sheep and the goats, because sometimes sheep and goats are hard to tell apart. Certainly, certain breeds are more tricky. Um, and the shock in this parable is it seems to be suggesting that the separation, the judgment is being made on the basis of the love and care that these people showed. Now, Jesus, of course, warned about this earlier in Matthew's Gospel. In Matthew chapter 7, he says, I tell you truly, many will call me Lord, Lord. But I will say to you, I never knew you. So there are going to be people, don't, don't forget the sheep and the goats, both say, when, Lord? When, Lord? When did I see that man and, and help him and give him food? And the goats say, well, when, Lord, did I see the man that was hungry and not give him food? So both the groups are calling him Lord, but Jesus is saying to the ones whose faith was put into action, uh, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. Or, conversely, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Now that's a challenge, isn't it? Um, I think certainly, I, I think, I just talk, talk as, as, as a minister, you could always think of all the, the needs and the things that actually you, you could or should be doing. And the danger is that you look at another minister and you see what they're doing and you think, well, I'm not doing that. <laughs> but they're probably not doing what I'm doing. So, do you know what I mean? Um, if we look at other people and start making judgments about what they're doing and what I'm doing, that is deflecting it all away from the call on us. Um, and I think the important thing to note here is that the sheep and the goats did not realise what they were doing and were not doing. When, Lord? I didn't know. I didn't know. I gave that food away or whatever it was. The sheep were doing naturally what they would do if they were a believer in Jesus and loving their neighbour. They, they were using opportunities. The goats were not. Now, that's what worries me, <laughs> because I, I can see that I'm a bit of a sheep and a bit of a goat. Are you? Yeah, I, I, can, I can think of things when I maybe help somebody, but I can also think of those people in the street that I've walked by. And ignored. I guess every time you go to town, you meet somebody who's uh, in need, um, and we have to make a decision whether we can do anything or not. I think that the, the natural response of the righteous is to do good things in Jesus' name. And as I said earlier, I mean, there are seven billion people in the world at the moment. I can't possibly help all of them. Surely. God doesn't want me uh, to have helped every single person that's come into my path before he lets me go into the eternal life. Surely that can't be true. But I guess it comes back to the kind of the half-empty and the half-full glass, doesn't it? You see, what, what is that glass? It's, um, what did you say? Half-full? Half-empty, I've drunk half of it. So... Do you know, what does God look at? Does he look at the half empty or the half full? He doesn't, he doesn't hold our sins against us, does he? 
<laughs> he, he, he says, I will remember your sins no more. Um, I, I, don't have a, I don't have a neat answer to this question, except to say that we are called to put our faith into action. We are called to show love. Uh, we are also called to be evangelists, to, to spread the, the good news. Uh, how many times have we maybe failed to put in a word where maybe there was an opportunity? We've all failed a lot more than we've succeeded, I would suggest, if you're anything like me. And yet, uh, you know, the, the promises of God, whoever believes in me will have eternal life. That's, that, that promise still stands, doesn't it? Now, I think it's very interesting here that um, if we notice that the first line in, in uh, chapter 26, someone like to find that? What does it say? When Jesus had finished saying all these things. This is the little formula that appears in the scripture at the end of the five blocks of teaching in Matthew. Uh, just as there are five books of the law, uh, Matthew is kind of echoing that. This parable ends, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. When Jesus had finished saying all these things. He doesn't make any further comment on it, does he? He issues this parable as a challenge to us. And he leaves it at that. And, and he says, I'm not going to make a judgment on you now. But when he comes back, we will sit amongst all the nations. And the lamb on the throne will be the king and the judge and the good shepherd who will make a judgment on us. I hope that you've understood that the judgment is that those by faith, who, whoever uh, has faith in Christ, will be saved. But the challenge is, what does our faith in Christ look like? So I think I ought to stop there as well. Because the next bit, of course, he says, as you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. So the next bit goes on to the cross. And Jesus calls out from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. So when we come to this table shortly, uh, we don't come, depending on how well we've done in helping old ladies across the road this week, or how many sandwiches we've given to you know, homeless people. That's not how we're judged. We're judged on the blood of Christ who makes us clean. And we can come here, all sinners are welcome at this table.